الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعض فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قل هو الله أحد سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم So each uh, Friday I have to come and sit here and uh, say something I don't have a choice <laughs> It's funny And it's very, very hard to figure out what to say sometimes. I had a teacher when I was in uh, <laughs> Pakistan in the Madrasa. Uh, he, said he was a teacher of Hadith, of Bukhari and Tirmidhi, by the way. Bukhari and Tirmidhi. I mean, think what a high state that is. You know, you're Shaykh al-Hadith of the, of the school, and you're teaching Bukhari and Tirmidhi. And he used to say to us, he said, <laughs> even he's teaching Bukhari and Tirmidhi, he said, I prepare so much, and this is the first time I'm teaching Bukhari and Tirmidhi. He said, but this is nothing. Juma is very hard. <laughs> so the student said, you know, Ustazji, why is Juma so hard? He said, because no matter what you talk about, people say you've talked about the same thing. Like he said, you know, you give khutbah and you you talk about something and each week you have to come up with something new. And then what happens is like, you know, two years later, you, you're so careful not to touch the topic that you did, you know, last week. Even two years can pass, and then if you barely touch that topic, then they say, didn't you have anything new? You talked about that two years ago. So it's funny because I'm sitting here, right, and I have to every week think of something new. I had a really actually deep talk I wanted to give today. So I have this, like, I was very happy. I have this, like, deep talk as well. SubhanAllah, you know, I, I'm emotional about it. I'm into it. And then I'm in the car on the way here, and I'm talking to my son. You know, I was like, yeah, my son, he's outside. He, if he hears I'm talking, he'll get upset. So anyway... I'm talking to my son, and uh, I'm, I'm telling him a story. I'm actually, you know, he's not there. He's not listening. I'm delivering a message, but I'm doing it in story form. So then he says, you know, Baba, your talks are so boring on Friday night. <laughs> so you should talk like this. You, you, should, you, you talk to all these people. They just want to, you know, whatever you talk about, they'll just like it because they like just whatever you have to say. Those are those, your students already there. You should talk some other things sometimes. Like, you know, you should say things that people like me, you know, we, we enjoy. So I said, okay, you know, now I have a lot of encouragement, you know, to give my very, very spiritual talk this morning. Uh, sorry, this evening. So, you know, now I'm all set. You know, you, you need to have some, like, confidence when you sit up here. You can't just be told, like, five minutes before that your talks are just com completely boring. You're not going to get anywhere. So now I'm going to change the whole talk, even though I prepared a whole thing in my mind, and I had one week's worth of emotion behind it. And if you like it, you can thank Zakaria. And if you don't like it, he's wearing a blue shirt outside. <laughs> you, you tell him on the way out. <laughs> anyway, khair, it's life. So anyway, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a unique way of getting you to one point. And, and many times it happens like that. I think I'm going to say one thing and end up saying another thing. So now I'm going to tell you what Zakaria wants me to say. And actually, the other talk actually had to do with Zakaria as well. So anyway. So yesterday... Uh, 
you know, you have a teen, I have a teenage son. So if your son wants to talk to you about something, then you get excited because this is teenagers. They don't like to talk to you. So anyway, he, he's explaining to me, he's like, you know, you're not going to believe this. Okay, what am I not going to believe? He said, there's this person. They won 760, I don't know, something million dollars. I don't remember the number, 700 something million dollars in this uh, lottery. I said, oh, $700 million? There's no $700 million lottery. He's like, no, 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 no. They definitely won $700 million. People were talking about it in school today, and it's a really, really big deal. One person won $700 and something million. So um, anyway, I said, okay, you know, I've heard that, you know, there's these big jackpots and people wait in line for six weeks, you know, to buy the tickets. So I, I know the story. You know, we grow up hearing these stories our whole life. So I, I saw, you know, I was a little bit interested in this story that this person won $767 million. So the person, um, so anyway, there was a news report about this today. But I was interested in it from another perspective. I wasn't interested, I don't care if somebody wins $767 million, it's their problem. But I was interested from the psychological perspective, like what happens to a person when they win $767 million? So um, I, started, I, I started reading about this, the psychology and the history of these people. And uh, there was a really interesting article, which is what I was talking to Zachariah about on the way here in the car. He came in. <laughs> so I uh, sit down, sit down, Zachariah, sit down. I'm telling uh, not those talks that you don't like. I'm giving this talk. So anyway, I, I told everybody the story from the beginning, so that's why they're laughing. Okay, anyway. So this article was about the three pieces of advice that the historians of the lottery. Interesting that there's historians of lottery. So three pieces of advice that the historians of the lottery give to lottery winners. I mean, we shouldn't be talking about lottery in the, in the masjid, but you'll see why I'm getting there. So the first piece of advice that they give to lottery winners, and piece of advice number one, is that you should not reveal who you are. You should not attract attention to yourself. You should not reveal who you are. This is the first piece of advice that they give to the lottery winners. Now, why do they give a piece of advice? We'll get there in a second. But this is like the number one piece of advice. So historically, you go back and study all the people who won the lottery. And one of the, the, the first lesson you learn is that the person should not reveal their name. Instead, what they should do is they should go on stage. At, because you know there's a ceremony. They give you a check and this and that. So uh, there's a ceremony. And in that ceremony, you should send your representative. You should send your lawyer. And your lawyer should represent you and should say, my client remains, wishes to remain anonymous. Okay. Now, this person who won this most recent uh, thing, they violated rule number one. Because they actually went up and said, I am so-and-so and I am the winner. Okay. So they violated rule number one. Okay, rule number two. Rule number two is that you should not change your routine. You should not change your routine. Okay, now why should you not change? What, what does that mean in particular? It's you should not change your routine, comma. You should certainly not quit your job. Okay. Now, why are they saying this? Because this person went up today, announced who they were, and said, this morning I quit my job. Okay? Just, just, just to show you. Okay. Now, rule number three. Rule number three is what? Rule number three is that you should not accept a lump sum payment. You should accept a payment over time. 
Okay, what's the history here? The history is when they win this, they get a choice. The choice is you can take a big amount now, but it'll be highly reduced from the number that you would get. So I don't know, you won, quote unquote, 700 million. So you can take 300,000 now, complete lump sum, taxes, everything removed. Or you can take annuity payments. Annuity payments means that you get every year they give you a little bit of the piece of what you want. So the historical rule for them is you should not take lump sum, you should take annuity. Okay, now what did this person do today or yesterday or whenever this happened? They revealed their name. After they revealed their name, they said they quit their job and they said they're taking a lump sum. Okay, and it's interesting. Now the historians, then they quote the history. Okay, and they give the story, the last story of the last large winner. So they say that in 2002, 2005. I don't remember the date. I remember the name though, because it's very interesting. It, the, the, they give the example of this person. His name is Jeff Whitaker. And he won this thing in 2002, $202 million. Okay, now, now listen to this quote, subhanAllah. Listen to this quote, because this is like the, the catcher, you know, everybody's eyes pop. So what do they quote from him? Here's his statement concerning that incident. He says, I wish I would have tore up that ticket. Can you believe that? $202 million, how many, 10 years ago? I wish I could have tore up that ticket. He's saying himself in his own words, I wish I could have torn up that ticket. Then why? Now why? The historian then says why? After he won, he announced who he was. He announced who he was. Within six months, he was robbed of $567,000. Okay. Now for him, that was a small amount, quote unquote. But you know how much that hurts if a person's robbed and how traumatizing that is. So number one. But even more, even more, listen what happened. After winning, because he quit his job and he changed his lifestyle... His daughter died of a drug overdose. His daughter died of a drug overdose. And then guess what happened? Then, a few years later, his granddaughter died of a drug overdose. Can you believe that? Now he's not even done. He's not even done. Then what does he say? He says, this is him speaking himself. And I, you know, because I didn't prepare this talk, I was just talking to Zachariah. I don't have the exact words, but I'm going to give you a rough quote of what he says. He's speaking. He's speaking in quotes. He says, I hate Jeff Whitaker. He's speaking about himself. I hate Jeff Whitaker. I hate what I've become. I hate what my heart has become. And then he's, they're speaking about another example, and they, this other person is making the quote, and the person says, this is another winner from a separate incident, and this person says that my deep, I, had, I had deep relationships with people around me. I had deep relationships with people around me. After I won, every, every, I, I saw everybody became a vampire to suck my blood. After I won, everybody became a vampire to suck my blood. Okay, now what do you learn from all of this? And they're giving history after history after history. So now the, the article is talking about the vast majority of people who win end up in depression, in suicide, or in bankruptcy. Look at, look, look at the end result. I mean, you know, this is the thing. This is the foolishness of, of, of the world in which we live. 
People get so excited about this. You know, I mean, how many people are looking at this headline today or yesterday, right? I mean, apparently it was a very big thing because it's what I was told that it's all over social media. I don't even have social media, so I don't know. But apparently it was big enough that everyone's talking about it. And everybody's talking about it. But what's in the back of everybody's mind? In the back of everybody's mind is, if that happened to me, I would be the luckiest person on the planet. Nobody can deny it that people are thinking that in the back of their mind. If I would have won, I would have been, quote-unquote, the luckiest person on the planet. I will tell you it's the exact opposite. Thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you weren't even playing. Because if anybody would have because the people who win, there's no barakah in that. It doesn't matter what the number is, there's no barakah in that, because there's no barakah in those types of things. They apparently look beneficial, but they are more empty than the emptiest thing on the planet. They're full of darkness. And that darkness perpetuates itself throughout the person's entire life. I mean, look, look at the statement, how strong, I mean, that is just resonating in my mind. The person is saying that, I wish I could have gone back and torn up that ticket. Now, what was everybody thinking that day? I wish I had that ticket. He's saying the exact opposite. Now that I know what would have become of me, what I was and what I became, what I had and what I got afterwards, I wish I could tear up that ticket and go back to who I was. There's no barakah in it. There can't be any barakah in it because it's com- we know that it's not halal to begin with. And on top of that, it just alters a person in so many ways that are just not beneficial. We have to recognize, you know, this is the dunya. And what happens is the dunya glitters and the dunya glows. And what this really highlights to us is that dunya glitters and dunya glows, but there's no reality to it. There's no happiness in it. There's no end point in it. And the reality and happiness and end point, it lives in principles of deen. Now look, what are those principles? By the way, what were those principles that they established at the beginning? All the principles that they established were principles of deen, but they, if you have, you'd have to isolate them and pull them out of the context. I mean, what was the first principle? Don't expose your name. Don't expose your name. I will tell you, a few, a couple, maybe three weeks ago, I happened to be sitting at a HIFS graduation party. Okay? And there were some very pious people in the room. And two of those pious people were sitting near, near me, and they were conversing with one another. I thought I was just fortunate enough to listen to the conversation. And it was the most interesting topic, which I separately wanted to discuss another time, but it just popped up into my mind, so I'm going to share it. And it was talking about the, our akabir, our akabir from Dioband. And it was saying that the, our mashayikh and our akabir, they ran from fame. They ran from fame. And the statement, they, they, were, they were quoting, and I don't know if it was quoting or they were just roughly translating a statement. You know, so roughly the statement was that our work should be 100 years ahead, our fame should be 100 years behind. Listen to that statement. Our work should be 100 years ahead. Our work should be advancing. We should be, we should be spreading deen. We should be guiding people. We should be benefiting people. But we never want fame. Fame should come, if it wants to come, let it come 100 years later when we're way in the ground. Because fame destroys an individual. It's very dangerous to have fame. So we don't want any of it. We don't want our name out there. We want to be anonymous. We want to do the things that we should do. We want to guide people where they should go, but we want to do it in the most quiet way. The less people know of us, the better off we are. 
Now, what happens? I mean, I know it's in the context of haram upon haram, but the but look at the advice that the sociologists are pulling from that circumstance. Don't reveal your name. You don't want the fame. You don't want everyone to know. You don't want people to attack you. You don't want people to come after you. You're not going to be happy in that circumstance. So we are we forget about that example because that's a haram example. I, you know, so it's difficult to make an appropriate comparison. But what it reminded me of is this very basic principle of our uh, of our effort, which is that we want total no. We, we we want the opposite of recognition. We want others to be recognized. We want to do everything in the back. And we should never seek to be recognized. We should not want anyone to, 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 to know that we did what we did. We should not want our name out there. The more we're in the back, the better off we are. The less people know of us, the better off we are. This is a very, very important principle that we should embed in our lives and in our efforts and anything that we do. You know, sometimes we get upset. Oh, I can't believe it. I didn't get credit. How come that person got recognized and that person got recognized and I didn't get any credit? It's a blessing to not have credit. Because look, in the end, where do we want credit? We don't want credit from people's tongues. We want credit with Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guaranteed us that whatever we do is recorded and captured and it will be paid back. So if you if we have any doubt about that, then we're confused. So the first thing that I gained you know, I was whatever sharing this, you know, with the, in the car was that, look, we don't want anything that is going to bring us any fame. And I'll tell you that I've heard this from many Mashiach historically. I've heard this from many Mashiach historically. I remember uh, at one point in time, you know, we were printing some flyers from some for some event and somebody saw that flyer. One of the Mashiach saw that flyer and they shared with me a very important thing. They said, don't don't print your name all over the place. Just keep the flyer blank. Keep it simple. Just people should know that there's something there and that's it. If they want to show up, they show up. But don't make a big noise. Because when you make a big noise, then people will be attracted. And when people are attracted, then you're going to have enemies as well. And you're going to, have, you're going to draw the attention of people that you don't want to draw the attention of. Better that our work be quiet and just we go, we go on quietly and we do our work and no one knows. So this is one important principle that we should keep in mind. The second thing. Don't change your routine. Don't change your routine. Let me make something very clear. Everybody in this room has a routine. And it is a big blessing that we have that routine. You know, there's this deception. Now, I'm going to take the opposite extreme. One extreme is the lottery, right? There's the opposite extreme of Dean. We have this false notion in our mind that somehow if we were totally free, we would be pious and righteous and achieve pinnacles in life. That is not the case. That is not the case. Don't, it is not that, oh, if I didn't have to go to work every day, I would be doing A, B, and C. It's not going to happen. That is not the, re- the reality in which we exist. You know, we have to go to school because it keeps us busy. We have to go to work because it keeps us busy. We have to be engaged with our families because it keeps us busy. Because we're human beings. We have that need. We have to have a schedule. We have to have a routine. There has to be something that wakes us up in the morning and something that puts us to bed at night. Now, are there some super pious individuals out there that don't need that type of routine and that can just function in the sphere of deen? Yes, maybe. But I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about us. Our things that busy us, our barakas, are there are blessings upon us. And we should be forever thankful for them. We should be forever thankful for them. If we have a job, 
We should go to work in the morning thanking Allah that he gave us a halal means by which we can earn an income and we should be happy that we have something to busy us because we know that more sin occurs during vacation than it does during work. We know that more sin occurs during vacation than it does during final exams. Because we're weak people. We're simple people. We don't have that spiritual strength to be able to, you know, be totally free. And then we're going to use it for Quran for an hour and dhikr for another hour and dawah for another hour and, you know, scholarship for another hour. We need to fill our times because we know, we need to fill our time because we know that if we have too much free time, we will waste it. We will destroy ourselves. So now look, some person wins whatever, 700, 500, 200 million dollars, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. That doesn't change who they are. They need to have something that drives them every day. And if not, what does it do? It destroys them. So we are grateful for the fact that we have a routine. And by the way, that routine, exactly the way it is, and the way in the balance in which it exists, should be should be perpetual. You know, we don't. It doesn't. We don't need a seven-hour routine of doing vicar every day. That's that's not happening here. What we do need is we need a routine that we get up and go to work. We take the free time that we have. We go to the masjid and pray as much as we can. We make sure that we offer our sunnahs. We make sure that we perform a basic daily routine of dhikr, whether that be guided or, you know, whether that be uh, organized or unorganized. But the point remains that we need our routine and it's in the context of that routine that we succeed. I can't be you and you can't be me and you can't be him and he can't be you. Everybody has to be themselves. Everybody has to be happy in their skin and look to advance themselves in what's next for them. The biggest mistake that we can make is to look at one another and say, well, if I had that, then I would do this. Whatever we have, that's what Allah has given us. And we should maintain that routine. We should keep that routine. We should be happy about that routine and we should not want that it disappear. If it does disappear, there needs to be a really strict, um, you know, regimen that we're going to follow. And we need to make sure that we change that over slowly. You know, sometimes people come to me and they say that, uh, you know, I, I want to develop myself spiritually. So can you give me some advice? So I'll say to them, the first, one of the very first things I'll ask them is, well, what do you do currently? They say, well, you know, I have this habit. I read this surah every night. And I do this dhikr a hundred times. And I do that dhikr a hundred times. And I say, okay. Uh, no, actually, it's the other way around. They say, what should I do? I say, do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I say six, five, six things. They say, well, you know, I'm already doing 100 of this and 200 of that and 100 of this every night. So should I change it? I say, no, 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 no. Don't change a thing. Just leave it the way it was. Because I don't want you to re- remove your routine and try to put in a new routine because that's even dangerous. You have a routine, you're stuck on your routine, you stick on your routine. You will benefit from that. It doesn't have to be one particular routine. But the point is that everybody needs a routine. And everybody needs to be consistent in that routine. So that's the second thing, you know, that you can potentially take home from the, from the psychology of this whole thing, not, you know, of course. And the third thing, you know, don't ask for too much at one time. Everything is better if it occurs slowly. Now, look, that is exactly who we are in the, in the religious context. We don't want that we get all of our spiritual benefit one night and then we're empty for the rest of our lives. 
We want that every day we're doing something consistently and every day we're getting a piece of that. And we want that it be very long-lived. So that is the goal. You know, you don't want all your, you know, you don't want all the money that you're going to make in one day. You'll waste it and lose it. You want that all the money that you're going to make be spread across 60 years so that you can make the right decisions and make the appropriate sacrifices over time. So anyway, these were three very, very big principles that interestingly, people who get involved in something that for us is haram, themselves are verifying, despite the fact that that was what they were looking for to begin with. It just shows you the reality of life. But maybe even the bigger picture, if you want to take a whole step back, is that maybe what some what the whole world thinks to be good may not be good. I mean, it just goes to show you, if you had to line up the world and vote, that there's a guy, he won $212 million. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? The whole world would have voted one way. Think about it. Where would you find an exception? Maybe some Muslim would say to you, you know, now the Billah, I don't want, I don't want that. Right? But who else would have said that? Now, something that the whole world can agree on. And what happens? The guy himself in the center of it all is saying what? I wish I could have gone back and torn up that ticket. That's his words. I wish I could have gone back and torn up that ticket. Why? Because What does it show? It shows two things. It shows it doesn't matter what the whole world thinks. It matters what the deen says. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us and he knows us better than anyone. But we don't even know ourselves. The deen states that there's no barakah in that type of thing. And that even a victory is a loss. Right? I mean, we know from hadith that in the context of riba, that even an increase is a decrease. What does that mean? It means that um, outwardly, money may be increasing, but the reality is, is that that's still a decrease because there's complete loss in it. Now, same thing here. Apparently, I mean, there's no person on the planet that would say to you, well, I mean, it's not a good thing. Even the Muslim would be confused now. They would be saying, well, but maybe he could give it in sadaqa. He should just take it and give it in sadaqa. Take it and give it in sadaqa. You know, I mean, they've, how many justifications do human beings come up with, you know, when they're in the, when they're in the caught in the middle of the, of the web, you know. But the reality is that there is no barakah in that type of thing. So where does wealth lie? Where does wealth lie? Wealth lies in deen. Because if that individual would have had deen, he would not have gone through any of those things that he was saying. He wouldn't have even had to tear up the ticket because it would have never been in his hand to begin with. This Jeff Whitaker, if he would have had the advice of deen, he would never have to tear up the ticket. His, his, his own thinking is wrong. It wasn't that he should have torn up the ticket. It's he should have never bought the ticket. Because who's going to tear up the ticket when it's in their hand? You cannot tear up the ticket when it's in your hand. When you have a $202 million ticket, nobody's tearing it up. The dean doesn't say tear it up. The dean says don't even buy it. Because if you buy it, you're going to be in trouble. So where, where, where did actual wealth lie in the whole, you know, in the whole perspective here? Where, where does the wealth actually lie? The wealth lies in the dean. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the best guidance. 
And it makes us the most, the most wealthy people on the planet. Why? Because we avoid the excesses. We avoid the things that are damaging to us. We avoid the biggest deception, which is dunya in the context of akhirah. We avoid the biggest deception because look, it doesn't matter what, I mean, forget about the ticket. We're going to be like, I wish I could tear up my life. He's saying he wishes he could tear up the ticket because of the consequences of that. People on the day of judgment will wish that they didn't exist. Forget about a ticket. They will wish that they themselves didn't exist. Ya laytani kuntu turaba. Woe be to me. Would that I be dust. Why? What are they saying? They're not tearing up the ticket. They're tearing up their whole life. Allah has blessed us with deen. There is no greater, uh, there is no greater bounty that could ever be given to any human being. And we've been given it. There's nothing in the world that we could look at that should ever attract our attention more than the deen that we've been given. It's actually a shame if we're listening to these stories like, oh, this person won 760 whatever million dollars. If even the thought comes in our mind for a second that, oh, if I had that, I would do this. We're just totally deceived. It should be like, oh, $767 million? Well, okay, I have deen. Deen is infinitely valuable. That's just fitna. And, and there's no barakah in it. Alhamdulillah, I won the lottery. And I didn't win one lottery. I won multiple lotteries. And this is a type of lottery that brings actually happiness in this life. And brings happiness and success in the hereafter. I mean, look, I, let me just tell you something. If you got a, If somebody gets a lottery ticket... And even if they won the whole world and whatever it contained, forget about $767 million. It's nothing, $760 million. I know people say it's something. It's nothing. Let's just say that there was a lottery ticket in which a person was able to attain the world and everything it contained. It's not going to matter. Why? Because first of all, they would never be happy. And second of all, they're going to die and leave it behind. And they're going to leave it behind and people are going to fight over it. Now, what's the, what's, the, what's the alternative? Person has deen. So they sacrifice, based on their deen, they sacrifice the world and everything it contains. Based on their deen, they sacrifice the world and everything it contains. They put their energy towards the hereafter. And what do they get? Allah showers the blessings of dunya upon them. And Allah gives them the minimum ten times the world and all it contains in the hereafter forever. That's the minimum reward. Ten times the world and all it contains forever. With no difficulty. With only blessing. With only happiness. You can't compare. We're, 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 how does this compute? Which, 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 which formula of... Uh, which equation... Which equation allows this to compute? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us in a very, very special and unique way. Allah has given us deen. Allah has given us cognizance of deen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us Qur'an. Allah has made Qur'an vibrant in our community. Allah has given us masajid. Allah has made our masajid vibrant in our community. Allah has given us scholars, and they're able to guide us and take us closer to Him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created within our community people that can bring us nearer to Him. There is no greater wealth on the planet. There is no greater wealth on the planet. And that needs to be infinitely clear. It doesn't matter how many people hype up anything else on social media. There is no discussion here. It is absolute. I can say with absolute certainty 
that what we have is way better than anything that we, we could have obtained in that way. We have to be thankful to Allah. We can never turn our attention. Look, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only prohibits human beings from looking at two things in the whole Quran. In the whole Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only prohibits people from looking at two things. Number one, ghayr mahram. And number two, dunya. You know, the, 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 the quote-unquote successes of the dunya that you see in the world. That's it. We're supposed to do hijab from dunya. To put it that way. We're not even supposed to look at it, worry about it, be concerned with it. If it comes, it comes. We don't chase it. We don't pursue it. We chase Allah. If Allah bestows it, He bestows it. And the beauty of this is not only did Allah give the people in this room deen, but everybody also is comfortable in their dunya. People are eating their meals. People came here by car. People comfortably came. People comfortably will leave. People have the basic needs that they they need. And we have all the luxuries in the world. We live like the kings did 500 years ago. We communicate more. We're able to communicate more than the kings of old. We, we have better medicine than the kings of old. We have air conditioning, which the kings of old didn't have. We have heating, which the kings of old didn't have. We have hot and cold water, which is running. The kings of old did not have it. We have every food available to us in so many different varieties. The kings of old did not have that. Allah bestowed upon us so many blessings. So many blessings. What right do we have for even a moment to turn away from them and wish that we would have had something else? It should be absolutely clear in our mind. Absolutely clear in our mind. There is no winner in this room. There is no winner on this planet except the one to whom, to whom Allah has given deen. That is the ticket. That is the ticket. And that is the ticket to Jannah, which is infinitely valuable. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to remain anonymous in our efforts. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us a consistent routine which allows us to be able to emulate his deen. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be among those who are able to cash in on the reality of this life and to earn the hereafter. Wa akhirat da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.